Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Sand Talk, the beach soccer podcast, supported by La Liga. With thanks to Beach Soccer Worldwide's partners, Puma, Iconic, United Nations Alliance for Civilizations, and Genius. Thank you all for believing in the sport. Hello and welcome to Sand Talk, the Beach Soccer Podcast. I'm Mark Pendergast, sometime Beach Soccer commentator, based here in London, where it's a bit grey and rainy, but in sunny Barcelona, it is press officer for Beach Soccer. And now commentator as well, Matt Mills, how are you? Yes, I'm good. It is actually very sunny in Barcelona, worryingly so if you're, uh, as I am, a bit worried about the climate, but let's not go into that. Oh, you've started, so you brought us up and then you just take us down. Can it just be a sunny day? It, yeah, you know what? It's a lovely sunny day here in Barcelona and I'm thrilled to be talking to my mate Mark about beach soccer. And there's one other thing I need to mention as well now. Where I live, it's kind of up, up and coming, okay? Up and coming in London means it's kind of old buildings being done up. Now, I've had access to uh, what I like to call a building site beach, okay? There's piles of sand have appeared everywhere. Now, I have to report, Matt, there is no sand at all anywhere what? within the vicinity. So, after this show, I cannot go out and put my toes in freezing sand just to get that feel of beach soccer. So, while you're moaning about the sun, think about me sandless okay i just look at the cement blocks and just imagine the sand that was in them that's gone into those now and it's just it's not good but i'll press on and i'll be strong and i'll tell everybody what we've got on the show today today we're going to talk about the beach soccer players who made the transition from the sand to the 11 aside game and the highest echelons of the 11 aside game aaron clark england international will be along to talk about beach soccer's most popular formations how they work who uses them and why. Plus, we'll recap on our big name interviews that we had with Molly Clark and Ozu, World Players of the Year, and the recently retired Spanish legend, Lorenz. And of course, the man with his finger on the pulse, or the keyboard, at Beach Soccer HQ with all the news is Matt Mills. So what is new, Matt, in the world of beach soccer? What are we looking forward to in 2022? Well, that's one bit of news that we have. The Euro Winners Cup has been announced. It's going to take place in June, 3rd to the 12th, 
And it's going to have, do you remember a couple of years ago, Mark, we had the preliminary round whereby the teams that hadn't qualified in their national leagues had the chance to qualify in the Euro Winners Challenge. Mm-hmm. Well, that's back. So that's going to be exciting. More oh. clubs, more players than ever, hopefully back to pre-COVID time. So that's one piece of news. And then did you see this about the Tahiti players who've been playing in the FIFA Club World Cup in Abu Dhabi? Yes, this was it. Four or five people with associations of beach soccer, including coaching staff who've made the transition and played at the, the, the highest level, if you like, of, of club football. Yeah, that's right. So the coach is Naya Bennett, who's obviously a beach soccer legend, uh, who, who famously sat out of the World Cup final because he's a Mormon and refused to work on Sundays. And yet he's the coach of AS Piray in Abu Dhabi. They unfortunately got knocked out in the first game against the hosts. You know, they, it was a huge experience for him and his players. It's not just the World Club Championship. Bennett has now added to his portfolio that he is the new Minister for Youth and Sports in Tahiti. He's announced his first priority is the fight against scholar dropout at schools and he'll be working with his main objective of improving conditions for youth in the country. I mean, it could have been an opportunity as well to get in a little beach soccer friendly with the UAE national teams. Obviously, they're, they're huge in beach soccer. They could have got two for the price of one, maybe, if they make it there next year. There's, there's an idea for them. Just write that down, Matt. Cool, we'll, uh, we'll have words with Dubai Sports Council and the UAEFA as well, see what we can do. And big news from the UAE, Amarel has just been officially announced as the UAE national coach. Previously, he's been in charge at China, Trinidad and Tobago, plus a recent spell with the England beach soccer team. So you're a winner's cup, of course, was a huge competition pre-COVID days in 2019. 80 teams took part, 60 in the men's, 20 in the women's. We did have a competition during COVID in, in Nazare, and that was pretty successful. Are we looking at returning to those sort of huge numbers once again? Absolutely. I think that's the I think that's the goal of everyone. And even in COVID times, it wasn't a lack of will, you know, it was just purely travel restrictions. And, and obviously people wanted to keep themselves safe, which is absolutely understandable but you know everyone's getting vaccinated the restrictions are being to starting to be loosened a little bit and hopefully fingers crossed back to pre-covid numbers i think for nazare it's such a huge thing have you, have you seen the doc documentary map by the way about nazare nazare in the winter the other sport that he do the hundred foot wave documentary that's on that geographic i've seen various people sharing clips of it on instagram so that's something that i need to actually sit down and watch sure i recognize a few faces on there well, you'll, you'll notice that the mayor of the town, Walter, is is featured quite heavily in it. But also, the thing I noticed was it, the numbers of people watching that, it kind of reminded me in a way of beach soccer because at that venue, there is always queues to get in. The whole town is absolutely buzzing. And whereas the, the big wave is kind of off to the side of the town, the beach soccer is central to the town. So it's, it's become a place that's huge in the winter for the big wave surfing and then just like a a mecca if you like for beach soccer in the summer yeah absolutely I keep meaning to make the uh, make the trip in the winter because it's not actually that far from Barcelona yeah I, I should have actually done it when I delivered uh, Pedro Miguel's Puma official ball that he won in our competition which did a bit of an interesting tour around the Iberian Peninsula of course, well, I think we should do that again, by the way, Matt, a uh, giveaway a beach soccer ball. We did it last time. and The beauty of winning a beach soccer ball, not only is it Puma, not only is it orange, not only is it a fantastic piece of kit, but Matt delivers it by hand. Can we sort that out for the next couple of podcasts, Matt? Can we give away another ball hand-delivered by your good self? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, if it's a winner in Tahiti, I'm perfectly happy to deliver it myself. And news of another tournament coming up in Central America, one where we've been before... 
and one we're supposed to go to just before COVID, but it looks like it's going to be back with a bang. It's El Salvador. It is El Salvador. What a beach soccer country that is. Always exciting to go back there. They are just crazy for beach soccer. Every I notice every time I put anything on social media, they're just on it, you know, which is which which is lovely to see. Going to be back at the Costa del Sol between the 14th and the 16th of April. So there's going to be both men's and women's teams there, Mark, competition. So that's going to be very exciting. And it's such a huge competition when they have beach soccer there. If you find bits on YouTube, the crowds are absolutely huge. You like play it in a, in a football stadium, absolutely bouncing from beginning to end during the tournament. And it is one of those places that is just so special now for beach soccer. But it's like a national sport for them because, you know, they're a small country, but they're really, really good at beach soccer. Like, I know if you remember the performance in the in the World Cup. They were they were really good. That goal, do you remember that goal by Frank Velasquez straight from the corner? Oh, the Olympic goal, They're a delight they to watch. Yes. So looking forward to getting back to El Salvador this year. And moving from Central America to South America, we said we'd talk about some of the players who've gone from the beach to the 11-a-side game. There was plenty of Tahitians during the Club World Cup, which took place in Abu Dhabi. Uh, but in the Copa America in 2018, there was one striker that caught everybody's eyes, Alex Valera. And he's now made the step up not only to be a professional footballer, he's played for the Peru national team, and now he has scored for the Peru national team. So he's made that step that we saw previously where players would be 11-a-side internationals and then go to beach soccer afterwards towards the end of their careers. He's gone in the exact opposite direction. Yeah, it's interesting. He actually scored on his debut against Jamaica and then he scored against Panama as well. So could be uh, a very big name for the Peruvian national team. Yep, his club side, Universitario Deportes. I hope I said that right. You can correct me out. Matt, you speak Spanish. He says nothing. No. I was right. Okay. <laughs> no, that was good. Yeah, it was good. Well done. Give yourself credit. Muy bien. Gracias. Uh, he scored 13 <laughs> goals in 30 games. So, you know, he's a striker who's, who's catching the eye. And if he's scoring for the national team, who knows? He could end up playing in Europe. So that's your news rounded up. And time for the second part of our series where we speak to England international Aaron Clark about various aspects of beach soccer. And today we're going to go for formations, why teams use them, who use them and what's most effective in each situation. I think the formations are interesting because now you're starting to see, I guess, an advanced tactics being used from all different coaches, especially Group A and all around the world, that even though they start, you're st you see sort of teams attacking in a certain formation and defending in a different formation. But with the 2-2, um, especially now with the goalkeeper and the rule change, 2-2 really allows the goalkeeper to be in, involved and to create the overloads. Um, that's why normal, that's why a lot of teams really use it. Um, you know, Portugal used to use it. Spain used to use it a lot as well. Amarelli is known for, for using it. It's very common with, with Amarelli's um, detail of how he likes to play 2-2 and, and the the tactics of how to build through the thirds or how to build sort of like out of your, your nine meter line into the halfway line and really create a 3v2 overload with your goalkeeper, your two defenders, normally against two attackers. So you should always have, as long as you've got a goalkeeper who's comfortable with his feet, it allows you to have an overload with the goalkeeper um, and also allows the opposition players to run more, which ties them out. And, you know, you may play two or three passes out wide and then back to the goalkeeper to just move the opposition around. 
Let's look at the what I remember is England playing a few years back, which is sort of three at the back and then one up top. Yeah, we decided to play a, a three and a one because what it allows is we we actually try to move the ball, well, depending on the situation. But when the goalkeeper gets the ball, we like to say to the goalkeeper, if we've, with the three defenders, if we've sucked out three attackers from the opposition players and they're actually man-marking and standing on our players, it means we've got a 1v1 up the top of the pitch. Beach soccer is simple, football simple. The idea of the game is to score goals. So the further up the pitch you are, the closer you are to the opposition goal. Is the striker vital in that then? Is the attribute to the striker, what would he need if he's going to be successful in that 3-1? and one? I think there's so many factors to it. The striker is obviously really important. He's movement off of the ball. And his attention to detail in terms of when to move and when to go. You see a lot of strikers now that play blindside, which means you're you're standing behind the defender. And then the trigger of when the ball goes maybe back to the goalkeeper or into the defender's feet, you may see someone like Gory, for example, decides to play behind you. Then he'll come in front of the defender. And that's the trigger for him to win the ball. He also needs to be able to hold the ball up. He needs to be strong enough, have a good body position where he can hold the defender off, but he'd be able to hold the ball. And of course, in beach soccer, it's amazing because you've got your back to goal. It's a 1v1 situation. Now it's up to you. If you've got a striker who's a bit of a flair player and creative, it means maybe he decides not to do a bicycle kick. He might decide to actually use some skill and beat the defender. But if he's got a bicycle kick in the locker, like, you know, your Gories, your Urenses, so many so many strikers do, like Stankovic. If the ball comes up to Stankovic, it's a flick-up bike and it's a goal. All right, let's go for the all-or-nothing formation, which is one at the back, three up top. When would you use that and who's the expert in that? Which team? To be honest, I've not seen many teams use that. I think it's a situation. So, for example, you're going into the third period, Maybe there's two minutes left of the game and you're really going to throw the kitchen sink at it. And I think that's when you really go for the the one and a three. I actually think you see it more in Group B than in Group A because Group B, some of the games, you're just fighting for your life and you're really trying to actually go and score goals. And you may see teams just actually thinking about attack more than defence. But you don't really see that in, in Group A anymore because it cramps the pitch up, which means there's less space. In terms of when teams do attack, and there's one formation I see a lot as a commentator, not formation as such, but one movement I see, which is when the keeper plays it on a diagonal out, somebody's virtually on the goal line at the opposite end, and they, they head it across and finish that way. That seems to be the quickest and most successful way of transitioning from one end to the other. Is that your favourite if it works? And is there any others you can come up with? When I played for Barcelona under under uh, Ramiro, I really liked the 2-2 formation because you have your goalkeeper who passes out wide, that diagonal pass to rather the left side or the right side. And then what you have is you have two attackers almost in line with, with the post, but on different lines. So you'll have one further forward, one further back. Normally the player at the back post would be further back. And the player at the front post will be further forward. And the reason why, if the ball went over from the goalkeeper to diagonally right, the front post man would then make a run down line and that would take the defender out with him. And then the back post man would then come sort of like a diagonal run into that area to receive the ball. And that would probably be for a bicycle kick. I mean, obviously the the ability to switch up for the team is key and the transition between these types of formations. Are the best teams doing that the quickest and doing that the most effectively? The best teams can switch and adapt from a different formation, knowing that opposition, they're the best teams because they they know they know what formation or what tactic to use in that specific situation. I think the players also communicate that. They don't also need the coach to say that from uh, the sideline. The best players will just do it automatically and, and adapt to it. Aaron Clark speaking about beach soccer formations. Who, where, why and how? 
And like we talked about before, players who've gone from beach soccer, played in the 11-a-side game. We talked about the Tahitians who played in the Club World Cup and Alex Valera, who's played now for Peru's beach soccer team and for their national team and scored for their national team. I thought I'd take it back and give you some names of former players who may or may not have played top-level beach soccer. You have to decide, Matt, were these players real beach soccer players or just figments of my imagination once they'd finished their career in the 11 side game. And by the way, Matt, let me just qualify this. I don't just mean they've had a kickabout on the beach. They played in a proper beach soccer match. Okay? Let's go. Right, first one. He's an Italian World Cup winner from 1982. Gentile. Has he been on the sand or not? Uh, a little bit before my time, but the dates could probably add up for the beginning of beach Can I need an answer, Matt? I need an answer. Okay, yes, yes, yes. It's the correct answer. He did play in Brazil, uh, back at the first World Championship, as it was called then. Frank Worthington, okay, a man from your part of the world in the northwest of England, starred for Bolton back in the day. Did he play international beach soccer? Now, I know this one for sure. He certainly did. Yes, he played in the same championships and scored for England, starred for them in Brazil. He was a player, an English player, who should have been actually Brazilian. He was that skillful and it was perfect for him. Next one, the player of players, Pelé. Has he played beach soccer? Maybe an exhibition somewhere at some point. Remember, he played in a prison camp in Escape to Victory. Oh, Pele in an exhibition match. But I mean, I mean, for sure, I've seen him playing beach soccer. I've seen footage of him playing beach soccer, but not officially. I'm going to say, though, most Brazilians have at some point, haven't they? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, I'm going to say no. I think it's a curveball. It is a curveball, you are correct. Okay, next one. If Pele is top of the tree, this this fella's halfway up the tree or even further, I would say Zico, starting the 82 World Cup as he played international uh, beach soccer. This one is an absolute yes. Yes, Zico is the correct beach soccer. answer. Starred when they won it in the first World Championship. Gary Neville, now a pundit on British TV, owner of Salford City Football Club. He dabbles, he even owns hotels. Well, has he played beach soccer at some point? And bear in mind, Matt, there was a tournament that once went ahead in Manchester City Centre. That, that that was that ITV game, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. The, was Gary Neville okay. playing there? Uh, I don't think he was. I think there was an ex-football, a couple of ex-footballers playing there. I'm going to say no. Is the correct answer. You are on a roll, sir. Okay, next one. Altabelli, also an Italian World Cup winner, 1982. Surely not two of them in the same team playing beach soccer some 12 years later. Is that a player who's played international beach soccer alongside the 11-a-side game? No, I don't think he did. Yes, he did. Okay, final no. one. This is I'm, I'm Surely I'm laying it on a plate for you here. Okay, and if you don't get this right, you will get sacked. Eric Cantona. Ooh, oh, tough one. <laughs> Tough one there, Mark. <laughs> uh, y- yes, yes, that that one. And if anybody listening didn't get that, then uh, yeah, I'm afraid you're incorrect, Matt, because his official title and designation was player coach. So sadly, you got that one wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not having that. I'm not having that. I'm having that point. I don't care what you say. So there you go. They're the players who went from the 11 side game to beach soccer. Alongside the magazine podcast that we do right now, myself and Matt, we also have some longer form interviews, including Molly Clark, 
World Player of the Year. We have Ozu, Male World Player of the Year. And Lorenz, who also talks about how beach soccer changed his life. was uh, for sure uh, the best decision of my life. Beach soccer gave me all things I have in my life. My character, my my humanity, my my type of person that I am now actually because I travel a lot, uh, almost 42 I think countries. I played in 32 teams. It's like I had a lot of chance, you know. And I met a lot of people and I I test a lot of cultures, a lot of other languages. It was like my life with soccer is my life. You can catch all those long-form interviews. Just check your feed right now and they are there for you to listen in full. That's it for Sand Talk, the Beach Soccer Podcast. We'll catch you next time. But before we go, as ever, the bookend of the show. Matt, give us those socials. Yes, if you're not following us already, then please go to at Beach Soccer Worldwide on Instagram, Facebook and TikTok. And if you're on Twitter, then at Beach Soccer underscore WW. Oh, it's always that little curveball at the end. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you next time. See ya. Sports Social Podcast Network.